Hello and welcome to a new episode of Driving Forces. Uh, Surprise. A, <laughs> surprise. Here we are. You know, you looked at your phone and you saw, oh, this is a notification. Driving Forces is a new podcast. It's about time, lads. Tis, we're very late and we've, I'm sorry, we've been a little bit inconsistent between travel and just hospital appointments and things. Just now, even though we do this remotely, you still don't realise just how difficult it is to find this amount of time and this amount of topics. We have a lot to cover today, though. Yeah, and you kind of have to set aside an air and a bit. And like, I don't like a lot. I really enjoy doing the podcast. It's just trying to find that little window and kids and oh, anyway. Yeah, it is a quiet um, window. It's a hard part. And I didn't get his name, but I was at um, Chris Hadfield last week. He was doing a, a talk in in Dublin, and there was at the interval a gentleman came up to me. I didn't get his name. He said love what you do in the podcast and my nine-year-old daughter who finds all this stuff kind of weird when people come up to me she's like what's that about i was like oh thanks very much uh i said uh, we need some more of a dummy goes you do you do to be fair you do <laughs> yeah i know i get that too some guys come up and wish me well and then all of a sudden on the back of it go would you do more podcasts like i wait for it and it doesn't come out and then you're sitting there you go where's nobody and bob talking on podcast again uh, we're a good time killer well look we're here we're here uh, we've done bumblebee since we last spoke to you Oh God, yeah! What a weekend! It feels like Must years you, ago. <laughs> where is your? Uh, where is your? It was a priest or a bishop outfit. Where? Where is that? It now? was a, a cardinal outfit. I, I was going cardinal. to set fire. I was going to cremate it in the backyard because I wore it all weekend, all day, every day. So it's kind of smelly by Sunday. <laughs> Troopy thought. <laughs> <laughs> Would it survive a washing machine? Do you think? I don't know. It cost me 65 quid or something. Like, it wasn't a cheap thing. It was quite an expensive thing, but it, it was red and everybody could see it. And that was the thing because I had on my mic- microphones and megaphones and stuff out for the weekend. But uh, it, it was a brilliant weekend, wasn't it? You were on Very your first, your first ever fast performance car driving thing across Ireland. It was. How do you feel? Uh, I was very good, really enjoyable. Um, very tough to see some little people at times who, you know, aren't well, but um, it was great fun. A lot of late nights. Uh, the, yep. the second the second night was a bit of a struggle for me. Uh, thanks to Audi who gave me their gorgeous RS3, which I don't mind telling you, had no problem keeping up with certain supercars. I saw that. Yeah, you were overtaking me as well. <laughs> I'd be on driver though. So I'm alright. <laughs> yeah, shout out to Leah Carroll. She's a, she's a great pilot, isn't she? She is. She kept me ahead of the bunch. You, you've no idea what the conversations that happens in the car. Because I have to try and get to the finish line before you guys get to the finish line so I can ramp up the audience and get the mics up and get the speakers up and get everything going. And then you guys cross the finish line. But we leave the lunch stops at the same time as you. So we actually have to get ahead of you all the time, which is the hardest thing in the world. And Leah does it every time and still manages to turn out a film from it as well. Like there's still, there's a YouTube, my YouTube channel has a whole film that she made shot on the whole thing. I never have a minute for myself. on it, So it's a, it's chaos. So big shout out to her and big shout out to BMW who gave us the 840i for the weekend. What a comfortable cruiser that thing is. And it was no slouch. It was never left behind anywhere. And uh, I actually dropped Leah back to the hotel at the end of the weekend on the Sunday and we pull into the car park and there's very few cars left because the whole thing's over. And, and she said, well, come on, you have to guess which one is mine. And in the corner, there was this blue Alpha Julia. And I was like, well, the petrol enemy would like to say it's the Alpha. <laughs> and she goes, correct. I was like, yes. Yeah. It's a beautiful car, beautiful bit color. Of taste, bit of taste, yeah. She actually had a good, good um, group of cars over all the years. Uh, she's working there. But um, yeah, the Alpha now does, for me, I would go, oh, that's, that's my car. <laughs> good looking car. I, I would pick any Italian, nearly any Italian car over any uh, German car to own for myself. 
There you go, he said it. Uh, something else, because we're recording this on the 1st of July. I'm not saying I influenced you on this, but I, I did have messages from other people about something you ate this morning. Do you want to talk about this jar of Rayu? Oh, it's Rayu, yeah. <laughs> I, I know I it's seven to, quid. But it is, yeah. Seven odd quid. It's a sort of a peanut. I can't, it's a very hard to explain. So it's nuts in oil with chili flakes and things in it. It looks like a jar of jam. And you think it is when you see it first. It's called Rayu stuff. But you just drizzle it over. Oh, well, I put, I just, it's like crack cocaine. You just drizzle it over everything when I'm, when I'm eating it. But I, I throw it over a couple of fried eggs in the morning with some bread and salad and things to go with it. That's my usual breakfast. Now, sometimes I have sriracha sauce as well, but this morning it was just Rayu sauce. And uh, I got so many messages going, where do you get that stuff? It's in specialist stores. I, I got it in a place called Sullis in Port Leash. Uh, no, sorry, in Port Harrington. Um but it's not cheap. It's it's a real treat thing. Like it has pure peanuts in it. It's very clean food. Probably not the best for you, but at least it's clean food. So it's it's good, wholesome, normal food, not like a jam or anything. I'd say it's it's calorie dense, but um, yeah, but it's kind of healthy because there's nuts and things and seeds and stuff in it. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I I mix it to rice sometimes. And if you're listening in Dublin, I've I don't know if I've seen it in normal shops, but you definitely get it in somewhere like. Avoca or something. I'm trying to think where. Yeah, it you might even get it in Tesco's or somewhere. That is, somewhere Tesco or Dunn's or something might might have a small selection of these things in a specialist aisle. But I've only ever seen it now in more specialist shops like Avoca or Solace or those kind of shops. Yeah, I swear this is a podcast cheap, just for the middle class. This is the most middle class no. thing we'll ever talk about <laughs> in the podcast. We need to talk <laughs> about some sort of socks, Birkin socks, or something next. It's seven euro a jar, Fiacre. No, it is good. Yeah, would you believe it? It is. Uh, Won't break bank for RT, so it'll be okay. I was going <laughs> to say, yeah. So uh, I mean, we kind of have to. And the twenty. I, I love the bit on TikTok where the uh, chief financial officer was asked about his salary, and he finally gave the answer. Yeah, uh, and the, the dude, John from Sinn Fein, he stayed very calm. He was like, you know, when you're really in trouble in life, and you go, oh, he's not even getting annoyed. That's how in trouble I am. He's staying calm. <laughs> Yeah, no. The, the deputy asked you a question. I think you should answer it. So he said that his salary was about two hundred thousand, but his comp and he said I have a company car allowance for twenty five thousand. And one of the comments was, "His company car allowance is more than my annual salary." Yeah, isn't it mad? And when you think he gets that every year, so if he PCPs something, he can pay down to twenty five grand every year directly off the loan. So he could buy a hundred grand car over four years. Do you follow nice. Me? Yeah, so it's yeah. not even like 25 grand off a new car. It's 25 grand every year. And you just go and buy yourself a 200 grand car. And over the next eight years, that that's going to be paid down for you by your car loans. Not Nothing against car loans. Every, lots of companies have a car loans where you buy a car, you know. It is there, but it's obscene on top of a 200,000 euro salary. <laughs> when you think when you put it in context that it's it's an it's a bonus d forbes gets the same thing by the way a lot of the senior executives of rt get a hefty car allowance of 25 grand which is almost the price of a car on its own just for the one year mm. you, could buy, you could nearly buy it for cash now having had a background in media and radio and, and i still i still dabble um i i kind of guess i suppose i get a bit more of the that what might be a shocking factor to some people in this whole story. I'm not saying everyone's squeaky clean or anything, but what I mean mm. is like even the even the barter stuff. That's kind of normal. Like it's, we've heard that before. I've heard that barter you know, from stuff loads of times. And I do get the whole 
you know, when you're a talent in, in a business, whether you like Tuberty or you don't like Tuberty, and they your your employer fears that you may go to news talk like Pat Kenny did or whatever, you know, they, it's it's a dance. They don't want to tell you, look, we don't want you to go, Ryan. But they're they're aware that you might have options. Now some would argue he didn't really have options, you know, he's he's doing the biggest, longest running show and all that stuff. But yeah, you you, you don't want your your top um, footballer, your top singer in a band, you don't want them to go because you you might think that they're part of what makes a lot of success. So you're like, look, we need to be seen to cut wages, but don't worry, we we have this little thing, Ryan, and we're not your wages actually won't be cut. Now that's probably the point where it goes, yeah, but it's public that's service problem, lads. Yeah. I probably shouldn't, right? So you know that argument is definitely there. But am I going to sit here and tell you with a, a, a 25 years in radio that you don't try and give people a sweetener or you don't try and say, look, can't give pay rise at the moment, but we can give you a bonus if your Jane Law figures are better. That's normal. But what's not normal is when you're working for public accountable business and, you know. I know. And you're throwing money and you're throwing freebies and sponsorships and stuff. Like, it's normal. I see an article in the paper top, top of brand ambassadors now within RTE who are getting free cars, right? And that's an arrangement that's happened outside their job. So a lot of brand ambassadors, they get the car because they're famous, not because necessarily they work in RTE or because they work. there's loads of brand ambassadors working in the GAA, loads of brand ambassadors working for various companies around the country who have a good high profile and a car company thinks they can sell more cars if you're driving their car. And that's really what's after happening. But now it's been used as a whip because as a national broadcaster, you can't be going on and mentioning a car brand on your radio show that you're sponsored by. That's where, mm. um, you know, there's this, there's this kind of a gray line that famous people, uh, I want to say famous people, uh, kind of, you know, people who are well known, have their own show, maybe they appear in lots of shows and they have this kind of fine line that they the tread, whether they're journalists or they're just presenters or what, what exactly line that they're actually trying to follow and how many lip mentions they give things. So sponsorship is a very dodgy thing on a national broadcast, not, not on, on Virgin Media or whatever, that's a different story. They're a commercial broadcaster, so they pay their own way. There'd be a lot of scrutiny. Um, and also, I was on the Claire Byrne live show a couple of years ago, and I never sent them an invoice, so they owe me 80 quid. Go away. They pay me yeah. and they never send them anything. I And, it, and it's, it's 80 quid for me as well, whether you're on TV or radio, it makes a difference. Um, so I, if I do, I get 50 quid, I think, if I do a phone-in. I think it's 50. I remember 50 or 60 or something when you do a phone-in one and you don't appear in the studio. And I think it's 80 or 75 when you go to the studio. So you um, were set up as a supplier, what they call it. I, I, I was, yeah. maybe. It just but, appears. Uh, it, I just get this little thing like a really old-fashioned wage slip in the post that you tear off the three sides of. Another thing is it's, you can't see George, yeah. can't hold that thing. And he opens up and says 80 quid and you go, what did I do? <laughs> and then you go, oh yeah, it's Claire Burns. It could come anytime. It's weeks uh, later, you know. If you did enough of it, I suppose you might make some money as a freelancer, but God, the freelance wages are fairly rubbish. I know it's only a couple of minutes on, on air. You might only be five minutes on the show, but it's the hour to drive there it's a finding the park and it's being prepared with all your stuff it's the phone call the day before uh you know they go through all the stuff you're going to talk about on air a producer calls you the day before maybe the morning of the show and you go tr- you know it's it's actually quite a lot of it's a few hours oh, of work yeah goes into being thing you can't go on somebody like claire Byrne and not be prepared <laughs> like no, yeah you look like an idiot and she won't ask you back and so, then you have to be professional in your answers you have to answer live often 
a, a text measure stuff will come in and Claire will just turn and ask you the question. You know that answer as well. So there's, there's an experience and an expertise that comes with it as well. And for, I know RT is probably the only one that pays. I've been on News Talk. I've been on none of those guys. You have to chase them like, you have to chase them every day to get paid out of them. Yeah. Um, and that's a big issue. That's a huge issue for a freelancer. I mean, what's the point in going on Virgin Media when no one wants to pay you for it? For exposure? Well, <laughs> <laughs> it's good for your profile. It's good for your but profile, yeah. I suppose the point here as well is these smaller <laughs> amounts, this kind of, give, you know, it's very far removed from the half a million a year, these these insignificant amounts. And the point is there's an awful lot of people that work in there and they're great people. I, I know some people most of my professional life who've, who've worked in RTE and they yeah. don't have big, huge houses. They drive no. Ford Focuses. They're trying to put kids through school and, you know, they don't, uh, they're not all rolling in it. They're not no, all. they definitely aren't. And anything like I've been, I've seen Tuberty at work in RTE. You just do because they're, they're in the studio, they're in the zone when you're in there anyway. You see them around the place. But like Tuberty had a, had a team of six people uh, for his show, his radio show, not the late show, just the radio show. <laughs> uh, what yeah. six people can do for 90 minutes, I don't know for a 90 minute <laughs> show. I, I'm not sure how he could do it because like I've been on Midlands 103. I'm sure you've been in all the local stations as well, where there is maybe one producer for the, for the morning show that's three and a half hours long uh, and a newsroom. And that's kind of the whole thing. You know, that's the whole operation. Um, and like I've been, Ray Darcy had four people the last time I was in there. I don't, I'm not sure. There's, there's lots of staff and they're not being paid very much. And they're working really, really, really hard to try and get you content every single day to talk about. Yep. Um, for your 90 minutes or two hours and they're trying to give you as much content. So you have tons of stuff to talk about and contributors and people coming in. So it's a hard operation and I don't think the people behind the, the top 10 names are actually thanked or even hardly ever mentioned uh, when it comes to it. You might find at the end of the Joe Duffy show they say thank you to such and such and such and the names. There's the names that, that are actually producing the show, you know. Mm. Bob Flavin, yeah. Bob. Good afternoon, fellow Kundera man myself. Yeah, that's a, yeah. That's a red arsey move, right? Yeah. <laughs> How much does he make again? <laughs> well, he's dropped now because he's not in the telly anymore. So he's doing. He's on two fifty, uh, which is still a, a lot of money. Now. But I, I, the last thing I want to say about it as well is, and, and I've met I've met Ryan a couple of times off the air and away from. He's actually he's a, he's a nice fella. He's he actually is, yeah. nice. Oh, he's a, a nice fella. fella. Yeah. I will sit down. I met him at the Plowing Championships one year. He was just a nice guy, yeah, just chatting, talking. And he's he's definitely he's he's out, he's out there on his own at the moment. There's no doubt about it. And he's been thrown know. under a bus along with D Forbes. The two of them are just essentially getting the blame for everything that's ever happened in Artina. I reckon they're just going to just going to create a file called Blame Files <laughs> and it's to the two of them. That's anything that went wrong in the last ten years. So just that's ah, not it's just that was a D Forbes thing. But the no, the bigger problem is the corporate governance of of the business, and it's you know it's easy to put names on headlines because we all know who they are. But actually, it's it's a bit of a cultural thing. So anyway, look, it's uh, it's a bit of a mad one. Still unfolding is where we're going to be with that Still one for a while. Unfolding, and I think it will continue to unfold because I was actually asked me on Claire Byrne the other day again. I, I was I was my immediate reaction was, should I do this? <laughs> <laughs> thinking to myself am I going to get embroiled in some sort of controversy here if I do this <laughs> well I, of course I did but you know you sit back and go good god they're not even involved in this like it's just that's just what they get paid that's what life is you know it's life 
Okay, uh, since we last spoke, I've been on a couple of trips, as of you, and I'm just looking yep. at the list of some of the cars I've driven. Um, so there's some interesting stuff there, just in the, in terms of what's coming down the line in the next six months, uh, nine months. So I've driven the BYD, but that was just my usual week-long review. Still um, haven't driven a BYD. What's BYD, going on there? what are you doing? I don't know. I don't know. It's booked way off into the distance looking at BYD. I have unbooked, but not for weeks and weeks and weeks. So uh, I haven't driven one, although I've been in one. There was just another journalist who was driving around and <laughs> I jumped into it and had a look at it. But uh, I, I haven't actually driven it, so I might miss another one. Most interesting thing about it, I think, is the, the blade-style battery in it. So it, it doesn't use cobalt in the battery in, in BYD. They're also less resistant to you know, repeated fast charging. So in theory, your battery should last longer. Um, is that a Chinese promise or is that just a general battery promise? Yeah. <laughs> if you know what I mean, is that, is that come from a marketing department or is that actually going to be uh, what's supposed to happen? No, well, it's, 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 um, so we've, we're all used to the lithium ion setup, but then it's a bit like some of the, the model three Teslas over the last couple of years have started to use this different chemical process of battery as well. Mm. And the cheapest MG4 also has the same type of chemistry makeup. And ironically, the cheaper battery in the in the MG is again, it just it, it's not as resistant to repeated cycles of fast charging to 100 percent It sounds like witchcraft uh, or something, doesn't it? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It sounds like another promise that we might get something that works in EV properly. We get a lot of promises, so, just not everything works. The one thing that I put up, though, when I put up the price of the car, a lot of people come back saying, I went into a dealership and the price is actually, you know, two and three grand more than you quoted. And I'm mm. quoting the manufacturer price. They're like, we bring the car in. You know, you should always negotiate with your dealer, whether they're trying to charge you two grand for delivery, which is outrageous, or, yes. you know, charging you for super guard spray on the car. Don't get that. Just uh, Or even say, look, you can put it on, but I'm not paying for it. Um, yeah. you know, these, <laughs> these, I would give you a boot full of uh, waxes and car shampoos and, and, and a sponge in, the, in a little pack. You're grand. I'll go to Halfords. You know, yeah. try and find little areas that they're trying to, like someone said to me, you don't get mats in the entry level BYD. And I, I don't know if that's true. But if it is, that's a joke. No one in Ireland sells mats, cars without mats. Mats are dirt cheap. I, I know. I used to do. Uh, I used to be in working in an auto dealership. I we used to sell aftermarket parts called Newbridge Auto Parts in Newbridge. I worked there for years. I know how much mats can be bought for, and it's pennies. Like I mean, it's just you could just spend a few cent and buy a pallet full of mats and get them out with every car, and then there'd be no negotiation over it. But that's down to dealerships, of course. So do yeah do negotiate with them, but it's it's about thirty eight thousand euro, and then they've announced the Dolphin as well, which is coming later on in the year, and that'll be high twenties. Haven't driven that either, and I see there's there is an international trip after I happened with that one, as well. and I wasn't on that. Either. No, just we weren't saying, on just that. Saying. No, yeah, not on that. No, we weren't not. on that, Bob. And I wouldn't mind my Atto three video that I put up. It did about twenty five thousand views after a couple of days. You know, so um, not bad. Yeah, you see, it's tough phones. being the number the number one uh, YouTube channel watched in Ireland for automotive you know there's the two of us that's it and we sometimes do dual videos like there's sometimes the two of us are into one video you're getting two for one like and you might get a mention on the podcast our phones are on that's all I'm saying <laughs> um, <Call> next, me. <laughs> next car was in Milan uh, and that was the what the hell oh yeah the Volvo EX30 so this is Volvo. you can't really remember what that was <laughs> I remember you saying this to me about a year ago and I was like <laughs> 
surely you remember where you were. And, and but <laughs> yeah, I understand. It happens after so, a while. Yeah, you kind of go, God, I was definitely in Milan at some point. I remember what the car was, <laughs> or I remember what the car was. I don't remember what the city was, or whatever it was. Yeah, so that was Volvo's EX30, which again was quite cheap. It was under the forty thousand euro mark, just about for the entry level smaller but battery. Volvo, we need a saloon shaped thing from Volvo, a, a hatchback saloon, something. They just keep throwing out the sort of SUV look. You know, that's what they're, they're basing everything on that now. And Polestar, who is the sister, you know, I know they're like nearly divorced at this stage, but they're making extraordinary good looking cars. Volvo needs to do something with that as well. Volvo needs to operate in that space. Just saying. Just saying. The, um, the Volvo has no speedo in front of your steering wheel. So a bit like a Tesla. Speed is irrelevant. <laughs> you, you have a tablet. There's recycled materials. But it's still a Volvo for less than 40,000 euro that has a battery. Mm. So. Is it still safe as Volvo trade? Uh, they yeah, want to stop all, their, all debts in their car. Yeah, it has um, it has the thing where you try and open the door and there's a cyclist or someone coming behind you, it'll warn you. Um, mm. And it's an interesting point you raised there because over the last few years, Volvo have made some dual motored electric SUVs. And like, someone went 460 brake horsepower. They just squeal their tires at every junction all the time, and no matter what you do. <laughs> I, I heard a, a, another one of the modern journalists were often traveling with Dave Humphrey saying, I'd love Volvo to put a bit more range into the car and have a little bit less brake horsepower because surely yeah. 460 brake horsepower in a family SUV flies in the face of being a really safe vehicle. It is because it's it's too much actually because the car can't really control that sort of weight. It's it's if you were talking about a performance car, it's not too much. You know, if you're talking about an M2 or an M3 or something, you know, those kind of cars that are designed to be quick anyway, uh, it can be coped with. But these cars are not really designed for that. They're designed to try and just bring your family around the place. You're trying to manhandle four hundred and something horsepower, and every time you put your foot down, all four wheels squeal, even at speed. They're doing it. You can nearly feel the chassis twisting and turning and trying to (laughs) keep everything, you know. Um, So I'm just going to try and quickly scream through some of these cars because the next one has been a massive seller in Ireland, the new Toyota CHR. I got to see that in Hamburg. There's a lot of them, isn't there? Nearly two weeks ago. Uh, A lot of CHRs. Yeah, there is now because there's so much importing going on of hybrids. So CHRs are coming in numbers in this country now, both Jap imports and UK reg. They've sold an awful lot of CHRs of the first gen. Um, this second one, it's not radically different. It's it, you know, the face is a little bit different. The interior is is better. The one I was in in the studio, I didn't drive in it. It was just a, a glass roof, which definitely goes. I don't know if you remember, Bob. The inside of a lot of Toyotas, they're black, they're dark, yeah. they're you Very know, dark in the, the back seat. Yeah. yeah, you know, and the CHR kind of suffer suffer from that as well. So the glass roof will help it. Um, it's going to be a hybrid. If you, if you have small kids, the CHR back seat is impossible for them to see out, just so you know. <laughs> yeah. Because when sit, cause the, the window swoops upwards towards its back and where the child sits, they're just looking at a door. They're not looking at the window. Just see sky is all they're going to see. So it's a, it, it will fit family, but it's just not. On a long drive, they get seasick and everything because they can't see the horizon. You just got to remember that. And that shoulder line of the door, it's, it's still kind of high. I don't know yeah. if they've dropped it hugely. The, the doors also don't open wide enough. It, it's not really, like Toyota will tell you, it's not really a family car. It's actually for empty nesters or, you know, people who might have maybe one kid because as soon as you put any sort of a buggy into the back of a CHR, the space is gone. 
<laughs> yeah. But this is Ireland. We have like a dozen kids at a time, so. <laughs> yeah. And also because, also because uh, our cars are so expensive, you might be stretching to a CHR as a family car because you can't go into a RAV or whatever that, you know, yeah. is really a family car. Just buy a Corolla Estate. It's my answer for nearly everything now. And if you want something small, buy a Yaris hybrid. That's it. There's the only two need. cars you'll ever probably need. <laughs> in fairness, I know they probably won't excite you or anything, but if if a vehicle to get you from A to B, a to B is what you need and you want to do it fairly economically at reasonable price and have plenty of room, there's your two cars. So there's going to be 1.8 and a 2 litre. There'll be a plug-in hybrid for the first time. Um, there are other plug-in hybrids. I've only driven the RAV4, obviously the Lexus stuff as well. They're fairly reliable on their range of what they, they can. They are, yeah. The Prius was the first one I ever drove that was a plug-in hybrid and it, the, the, the boot just disappeared because they just put in more batteries is all they really did. So the boot space went from fairly average to nothing at all. <laughs> like <laughs> You're putting in stuff and you're nearly touching the glass of the back window. So that, that quickly disappeared. But that was the first plug-in hybrid I ever did. But the range was pretty good. Thank you for bringing up the Prius because I also drove the new Prius for a little while and just as you've mentioned, they've moved the batteries a little bit lower down into the car to give you a little bit more boot space. Now, even with the plug-in hybrid version, the boot's not massive. I don't know if it's a taxi. It's also going to start from €46,000 in Ireland. Whoa, that's very expensive. Isn't it now, though? I mean, that sounds... I think that will rule out a lot of taxi drivers. It ruled out a lot of a lot of owners who who liked it. I like the look of it. I mean, I've seen enough pictures of the thing and actually seen it physically. It was here. I was at Bloom. Uh, we went up to that and Toyota had a stand and and there was a Prius at it. So I had a little poke around in it. It's a very handsome looking car and takes a weird color very well. So a yellow, red, any of those kind of odd colors. It looks great on it. But if it's going to be forty six grand, it's not really your first purchase. Mm. You know, that's a lot of money. Tokyo Gold is that colour you're talking about. That's the one. That's the one that was up there. It's just an extraordinary colour for a car, but it actually looked really well in that Prius. It does. Now, the inside isn't as flash right now almost as the outside. The, in- the steering wheel is very, very big, but it was, I drove it all across Hamburg and rush hour traffic. It was really smooth. It was so quiet. You could definitely imagine sitting in it all day if you were driving it. But I think Toyota really want to maybe move away from it being just a, a public service vehicle. Mm, I think so too. I think I think it might actually be slightly harming the image of Toyota. For years, we had the Carina as, and then the Avensis was the taxis. Now suddenly, it's Prius and Prius Plus, and they're the two cars you see a hell of a lot now on the road. And like, if you hit a Halo app or any of those apps looking for a taxi, that's probably what's going to turn up uh, as the taxi of choice straight away. So, I think it might actually be slightly harming the image of Toyota to think that they're all going to be. Uh, taxis around the place. I'm just going to see them everywhere. So why would you want to drive a taxi if you're going to drive it as a private vehicle? People hailing you in the streets, waving at you, looking for you, you know? So <laughs> nobody wants that. I know I used to own a Carina and it happened to me all the time. <laughs> Where are you going? Nah, not going that way. I swear I was parked one night waiting for my wife to get, she was my wife at the time, but waiting for my wife to come out of uh, of work and a fella just got into the back seat and <laughs> <laughs> and just said, listen, will you take me home? I'm up in Maryville. And I go, I'm not a taxi. And he goes, yeah, yeah, Maryville. <laughs> and I go, no, I mean, I'm not a taxi. I, oh, he goes, oh my God, I'm really sorry. He jumped out of the car. <laughs> Random dude in the back seat. <laughs> Get out of my car, man. I'm not going to ask you again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's your final um, morning. <laughs> Uh, next up on the podcast, I'm, we're going to get an update from Bob and everything that's going on uh, off away from the car scene in a minute. But um, let's just go over now to an interview with uh, a lady who has had a stellar career, um, 
a, a very long career in the automotive industry. Her first job was in Jaguar, uh, and she's now the CEO of Peugeot, not just Peugeot UK or Peugeot France or Peugeot. Mm-hmm. She is the boss of Peugeot. Um, Linda Jackson is her name. I interviewed her during the week, and I started by asking her, you know the way Irish people say the name of the car brand wrong? So we're here on the uh, Driving Forces podcast chatting to, I think you're probably the most VIP person when it comes to automotive stuff that we've had on the podcast. Oh I don't know gosh. how that makes you feel. <laughs> but Linda Jackson, who is the CEO of, well, actually you can settle this bet. In Ireland, we call it Peugeot. Yeah. Where you're working in France, it's definitely Peugeot. Are there two ways to say it? Because people always, <laughs> even on YouTube comments go, and they spell it phonetically for me. And they're like, in Ireland, we say it differently. <laughs> Well, you know, we, we would say it's Peugeot, yeah. um, but to be honest with you, I don't mind how you pronounce it, as long as you like it, so uh, <laughs> no, it's Peugeot. Thank you. Okay, I'll, I'll convert. <laughs> um, Peugeot is fast-tracking to be a fully electric brand over the next few years. Uh, earlier on this week, I was test-driving a hydrogen car. Is that something that uh, you know some of the, the bigger brands like your own are interested in, or is it just very much... EVs for now? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a great question, and you're right. I mean, you know, our main focus right now is 100% electrification. So by the end of 2024, all of our models will have an electric version. Yep. So that's like next year. But we also do have hydrogen fuel cell. Um, we have that on a large commercial vehicle, which is where we really, so we're interested in it. We're very open to the technology. But right now, we're focusing on hydrogen fuel cells on the large, larger van. Why? Because the technology we currently have is quite a large battery mm. um, and therefore it lends itself to a large, you need a large uh, platform to put it in. So, you know, I think we're open to it, but right now our focus is on electrification for the obvious reasons. Um, so who knows where it's going to go in the future? But I, I think also at the moment, unless I'm wrong, you know, the hydrogen fuel actual infrastructure is really only in a couple of countries, mm. um, Germany, for example and France to a lesser extent. So also that sort of leads us as to how quickly you could generate the hydrogen fuel cell uh, technology. So yes, we're open to it. Yes, we've got it. Big vans, not on cars at the moment, and our focus is electrification. And, and as you say, I think if more brands see it in countries, they'll go, okay, this is something our customers can actually... Exactly. And yeah. I, you know, I mean, it's, it, you know, we put it onto a commercial van because it is a very, very quick charging time, yeah. obviously. Uh, you can go quite long distances with it. Um, so it has real advantages, but at the moment it's a technology that is on, as I say, large commercial vehicles and we haven't adapted it yet to small vehicles. Okay. Um, you obviously headed up uh, Citroen for quite a few years as well in, in the family that you work for. Um, perhaps, uh, maybe Alfa Romeo also in the family, but I, I think a lot of people would claim that Peugeot are, are making some of the best looking cars uh, in, in the group. And I know you weren't there for all of the, the, the models, but you're, you're here now. So. Um, is it is it hard? Is it tough being the best looking child in the family? Well, it's always tough being the best looking child or the most <laughs> intelligent looking child or whatever child because the pressure is on you enormously. But but no, I mean it's um, I think it's in our DNA to be honest with you, and everybody knows um, that we need to strive to continue and and be ahead in design. And you know when uh, when we look at the reasons why people buy Peugeots, um, then there's really two main reasons. Um, and you could say this for some manu- many, a number of manufacturers, but I think we stand out because when we actually look at it, uh, if you like, our score is so much higher. Is exterior design, mm. 
and the second one is interior design, which is the eye cockpit which you have inside. So it would be absolutely ridiculous of me not to continue that direction. So it's definitely right on there and the focus. But the pressure is enormous because every time we're replacing a new vehicle, we're replacing either a best, I'm not trying to be big-headed, but we're replacing a best seller or a very, very good seller uh, that has a great design. So, of course, you know, the pressure is there and it creates a bit of competition, um, but it's good fun and it's good fun. But um, every time we do it, we think, Mm. And actually, I think you have to push it a little bit further. So I'll give you a little insight. You know, we do lots of customer clinics. So we're mm. testing concepts and that. And if when we test a concept of a car that's going to come out in three, four, five years, because that's we're going out to 2035 now, you know, and customers say, oh, that's quite nice. It's dead. <laughs> move, move that concept. If they say, oh, that's a bit bold. Yeah. Or tick. Let's move that onto the list. And yeah. Okay. So that's how you've got to be because you've got to you've got to stay ahead in this game. Yeah. Everybody's going to be level with electrification or the quality of vehicles. So what is what are you going to have that's going to put you ahead of everybody else? And for Peugeot, it's all about the design and the pleasure of actually driving and the eye cockpit. So we've got to be right at the very top. Um, I, I'm sure this question is asked a lot, but when you when you look into the the facts of females in your position in the automotive industry. I think there's, there's three females who <laughs> have headed up. Yes. Uh, and I'm sure you, you get asked all the time, but it must be, it must be an inspiration to, to people. I know from talking to automotive engineers and, and people that, you know, they would love to have more females in the industry. So what is, what do you think are the barriers? Are there barriers? Yeah, it's a great question. And, and you know, I've, I've, um, uh, I'm asked this question all the time, and I, I think the barriers, I mean, in theory, there are no barriers, mm. yeah? There's no glass ceiling or any of those things. Um, I think the perception sometimes of the motor industry has led women not to want to go into industry. Um, uh, so I think we need to change the perception as well. Um, I think we need to have these role models that shows that you can progress. And it's, it's ridiculous, really, to be honest with you, because, you know, 50% in general of my customers are female. It's sometimes higher on the smaller cars. And I read there was an article, there was a, um, a survey done five years ago, uh, I think it was in the UK, um, which said that behind 95% of the decisions to buy a car was a woman because mm. she was choosing the colour, she was choosing this, this, and that. So why wouldn't we have more women in it? So that is the big question is that I think the way to change it is A, to explain what the industry is all about. And I've been doing some work with the Institute of the Motor Industry in the, in the UK to try and say, look, this is, this is what the motor industry is like now. And it's not, uh, you know, getting your hands filthy in workshops. Workshops are very clean now mm. because they have to be. It's a very technical place. Uh, but that's not just what the auto industry is about. It's about selling online. It's about dealers. It's about customer experience. It's about design. It's about so many things that why wouldn't you want to be a part of it? So I think in a way, Though I, I, I sort of think to myself, Linda Jackson as a, as a role model, my goodness me, <laughs> um, is that if I can actually promote the industry and get more, pe get more women in, it would be great. So I'm a great advocate. and It is changing, though, I yeah. think, but it's slow. Well, more power to you. Um, you mentioned the smaller cars, Persia 106, and these cars were famous in the 90s and the 106 GTI and stuff like that. Um, and, and 
you see it around certain regions in, in Europe that the smaller car works for, for cities. Do you, do you see the brand going back to that? Or I mean, they're very famous now for the 5008 huge car, but is there room for the smaller stuff? Yeah, I mean, the, 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 pro the point is that when you actually start to look at the statistics of the very small cars, they're actually, it's actually declining. And mm. probably it's declining a little bit because uh, if you're in a major city and you've got good public network, then you're not necessarily wanting a small car. Um, so, to be honest with you, we've decided to really concentrate on replacing currently all of the vehicles that we've got, which are all in what we call profit pools or volume pools, where there is a, a significant volume and we know there's still going to continue to be a growth. So at the moment, you know, we're sticking to starting with a 208 and what we're trying to do is make that as accessible as possible mm. in terms of price to our customers rather than, if you like, making a much smaller car. Um, and I think a lot of manufacturers are going down that route as well. So, you know, the answer to your question is, no, we're not considering it at the moment. But what we are looking at and what we are introducing, as I say, are more accessible offers. So, for example, in France, you can have an electric 208 um, through uh, what we call Peugeot as you go, which is 150 uh, euros per month. And you have a, a set 700 kilometers for the month. And if you don't exceed that, it's just 150 and then it's just like a leasing type idea. Yeah. And that's very accessible, 150 euros per month for a, a, an E208. So we're trying to tackle it that way, as opposed to creating a new model, um, which we're not sure there would be an enormous volume for. Okay. Um, obviously you've had a, a long and varied career. I'm sure there's been lots of company cars, but we had a chat with everybody last night at dinner and I definitely got a sense from you that, although you're the CEO of, of a massive company, there's a, there's a car head in you <laughs> what yeah. was, I mean, uh, your, your first job was, was, so, was in Jaguar, was it? It was in Jaguar. Yeah, I didn't have a company car though, unfortunately. Okay, <laughs> but I'm sure you've had a few, but what was your first, the, the car that a young Linda was behind the wheel of? Oh, and that's, that's easy, and unfortunate, unfortunately, it was neither a Peugeot. In fact, it wasn't any of Stellantis's. Okay. Um, I had a Mini. Excellent. So that was, I learned to, well, I learned to drive when I was 17, 18, and uh, that was, my parents bought me a Mini. So that was my first car, and I loved it. I went down to the south of France in it and everything. It was with a friend. It was perfect. What colour? It was, it, it was mustard. <laughs> it was a mustard colour. I probably wouldn't have chosen that colour, but, yeah. you know, it was, it was great. Although the yellow in, in your current lineup is, is a beautiful. Well, you were saying you bought it for your daughter. No, I bought it for my daughter, and she absolutely loves it. It was a bit of a surprise, and she loves the yellow. And it's real standout colour. So I, I really do like sort of vibrant colours, so uh, mustard wasn't that vibrant, but Mini was my first one, but yeah, I think your first car is always something you remember because it's, it gives you the freedom, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. Well, and it's been uh, great to touch you this morning, continued success with your, your career, um, uh, and we'll possibly touch you again soon. Thank you very much. Thank you. So, Linda, uh, last ran Citroen for uh, good, good five, six, maybe more years. So she's worked in that group for quite a while, but um, she's only in her. I did obviously want to ask you. She's in her early sixties, so I she yeah, probably has she's another seen car her for a long time. Um, I'd say so too. Once you're in, once you're in that position, they tend to move about. You know, they tend to stay either within their own Stellantis group or they'll shift off onto something else. But certainly a very capable woman. I met her a few years ago at another Peugeot Peugeot launch. I'm going to say both these days. <laughs> Just be safe. Not to, upset the, not to upset the Irish people as well. 
So she, the night before we interviewed her, she came down at the end of the dinner and she was having a chat. And she had a couple of people with her, just usual staff, but they weren't really, you know, they were just there in the background, but they were chatting away if, if they needed to as part of the conversation. But Linda's from Coventry and somebody in the in the group, possibly Neil Briscoe, somebody said, oh yeah, there used to be a saying, you know, we'll send you off to Coventry if they didn't want you to really be involved in the company anymore. Yeah. So everyone was laughing about that, but there was a, a, a relatively young guy from France who had just joined Peugeot. And <laughs> I'd had a couple of Scooby-Doo's and I said, uh, <laughs> so what you need to do is make sure Linda doesn't send you to Coventry. <laughs> and I've only met this woman. I said, I said, when's your probation period up? And he goes, three months. <laughs> Uh, he's going to be she, sitting drumming his fingers for three months waiting for an email that says you're going to Coventry but she laughed she took it quite well but the next morning it was very serious it was like good morning Linda how are you uh, but yeah no <laughs> she was uh, she, very nice and not often really you get that level of access to a CEO of an automotive very brand. rarely yeah the odd time is the designer but very rarely CEO I remember meeting Wintercorn remember Wintercorn he's the boss of Volkswagen during the Dieselgate era yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think he's in jail now um or something. He got fined or uh, yeah, something. Maybe he's going to jail. But I remember meeting him and his security team of like four. And all his, uh, I'm going to say minions, but they were just the, the employees that surround people like him, you know, in Volkswagen Group. And in fairness, he's a real petrol head. He was a real petrol head. But he was walking around looking at some, I think he was looking at a Peugeot. To, it was at a motor show. And I filmed him. And his security came over and tried to take the camera off me. And it all got very tense, very quick. Like it was oh really, dear. yeah, because they thought I was capturing him talking about the Peugeot car because famously he was caught. He got into a Kia at a, at a motor show. I think it was Shanghai or something. But there was two ordinary folk in the back seat of the car looking at it as well. <laughs> and one of them filmed him. Uh, he was at the rake and reach, you know, the handle to open the rake and reach on the steering wheel, in and yep. out and up and down. And it opened so smoothly. And he talked to his to his fellow next to me. He says, even Volkswagen can't do that yet. I don't know why. I can't believe this is on a Kia here. This is incredible. And if he spoke it in German and they filmed it and then they published it online and somebody translated it. Of course, this guy was talking in favor of Kia and Hyundai Group all of a sudden. <laughs> and uh, he's a Volkswagen. So, uh, so the camera was like removed from me all of a sudden. I was going, oh, yeah. A second, I'm a journalist. How dare you touch my camera? <laughs> <laughs> Get your hands off my camera. Yeah, don't um, touch my camera. <laughs> yeah, Thomas Schaefer really was the only other person I've encountered who was kind of that accessible. I mean, he was really begging us to get a selfie with him on a on a, on a trip in Germany a few months ago. Um, yeah, he's he's also he quite approachable. He does the weekends. No. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He lives in um, yeah, keep- Wicklow. I meet him every once in a while at the airport. <laughs> Just sitting there on his own. He's now no security, no nothing. He lives in Wicklow, yeah. <clears throat> he's, he's quite a, a lot of people probably wouldn't know who he is anyway, unless you're into cars or whatever. Although the more no. selfies he gets with people, the, but yeah, he's quite a, an easy to, to chat to guy. Um, another thing we were on this week was a hydrogen chip with, trip with BMW, Bob. Yeah, my first proper drive of a hydrogen car. I had a little mess around with, with uh, a Toyota a few years back, but it, nothing since then. And then all of a sudden, BMW come out with a hydrogen car and a hydrogen filling stage. We did the whole we did the whole thing, didn't we? We actually drove around and filled the car up and everything. <laughs> yeah, there'll be a video with b- both of us uh, coming up to the channels next week. Um, so it, they basically, they've made 100 X5s. They've paired them with hydrogen. And instead of weighing 
probably a, a BEV X5 would probably be close to three ton. Uh, be, this yeah. whole process, including motors and hydrogen tank, is 80 kilos heavier than a normal X5. Yeah, and the fuel is only 6 kgs when it's actually on board. So the, the fuel is nearly the lightest bit of it. It's under pressure, just so much of it there. But um, it, it, it felt like a normal car, though, right? It just it didn't feel like an electric car trying to do a job. It just felt like a car getting on with the job, like, like an internal combustion engine car would do. Uh, a little bit more power and torque, but other than that, it seemed to have all the same traits as a normal petrol car. And then when you pull up to a... To get fuel in it, you just plug a thing into the side of it and it fills it up and then you unplug it and you drive off. It all takes about five minutes. It genuinely is that, that quick. Um, the m- biggest thing for me was I just noticed that when you brake um, in a plug-in hybrid, first of all, it's using the regen and then it uses the actual friction brakes. Uh, a BEV, just again, similar-ish, but because it has so much weight, you just feel like, for me, the biggest difference was just that X5 the braking process was just like braking in a petrol or a diesel. It yeah. was just a nicer experience. Um, it felt less yeah. weighty over bumps and, ra- and that kind of float that you get from a big, heavy electric SUV, something like a Skoda Enyaq or whatever. There's a little, you know, you kind of have to get used to this kind of almost sailing feeling or something. Yeah. What I found online, when I, when, I was, when I started tweeting about it, because I could see the logic of how this could just replace what you do now. So if you're going to a petrol station, you're putting petrol and diesel in your car and stuff, a hydrogen car comes along and you're going to do exactly the same process. It's slightly different. It's no, there's no smell, there's no, nothing, and it plugs in so you don't touch so much touch things. You don't get any oil or grease or anything on your hand, but it's essentially exactly the same process doing petrol and diesel. But when I started tweeting it, there was this divide that happened almost immediately. People who are BEV, they, they know what they're doing. They like electric. They're going, oh, hydrogen's dead, it's dead, and that can't be done, it's useless. But ordinary people who don't really, who are driving petrol diesel go, hydrogen's the only future I want. It's the one I want. I'm waiting for hydrogen to come out. This is ridiculous that we're still waiting for hydrogen to come out. So there's this divide now between what people want and what people think they're supposed to have, which is the electric cars. It's also an awful lot less of the raw materials used in a BEV used in a hydrogen car. That was another thing that wasn't lost to me. I thought that was very interesting. Now, mm. it's not cheap at the moment, and it, it's all about supply, really. They say, look, in 10 years' time, how much will a litre of diesel or petrol cost? Nobody knows. They can predict with a lot more certainty what they can do with hydrogen, how they can manufacture it, at what price. And they're saying it'll actually come down if it was something that was a more of a, a mass-produced thing. At the moment, yep. it's about €23 Euro per kilogram. So you multiply that by, what was it, 6.5 in the X5? It's about 140 quid to fill it. Yeah, which isn't terribly far off. If it was a petrol-powered car, solely petrol-powered. You wouldn't be terribly far off the price of that. But it is a lot dearer than electricity. Almost, at, yeah, by far, yeah. At today's at today's prices. But um, if you look at trucks and vans and stuff, the commercial end of things going to a battery car, and I know Tesla has somewhere in the back of their head that there's an electric-powered truck or battery-powered truck coming, um, and everybody's trying to investigate it, but the problem becomes weight. Weight versus distance. Uh, cars, cars are one thing, but vans and trucks are run on how much they cost per hour to run and how many hours they can run in a day. So uh, the only thing that stops a diesel truck driving all day and night is the driver gets tired that's it 
uh, they would they would if they could get them to drive faster further they would um, so if you have to stop for a charge as well in a big battery powered vehicle and I know because Port Leash has a battery powered bus uh, we've already got one. One of the first in the country was ever made was was put down here, a Higer one. I see it around the town every once in a while, but finding a charge point, waiting for it to charge up has been the two biggest complaints uh, for that battery-powered vehicle. So uh, the same is going to apply to trucks. And if you can make them run on hydrogen, then the offset of that means that pe- that ordinary hydrogen cars can fuel up at the same station as a truck. And I was talking to an electrician who works in ESB Ireland a few weeks ago, and he said a couple of years ago, they get these alarms on their phones when the grid is under strain, evening mm. time, morning time, whatever. He said a couple of years ago, you'd get one of these alarms maybe twice a year. He said, now we get them three to four times a week. And Whoa. you have com- factories then that have, they're able to kind of communicate with the grid and they'll reduce ele- uh, air conditioning in the factory if it's not necessarily needed at seven o'clock in the evening or whatever. Um, so there is huge strain. And I suppose that's where hydrogen, nobody on, on our trip with BMW said that hydrogen was the only way. Everyone said no. it's part of it. It'll help us get to carbon neutral quicker. Um, you know, we spoke to a really interesting guy. I can't remember his name, now, but he, he did say he'd come on the podcast. Was it Andy? No? I think um, it might have been Andy, yeah. He's a lovely guy, yeah, yeah. He just said, I know you guys have huge amount of data centers in Ireland. They could be powered by hydrogen. The surplus energy from them could be then used to to go into cars. The company he works for, I, I still can't remember. Is it Air? I think that Walker? was Air Products. Was this Air Products? Air Products. Air, Air something. They've been in the UK and Ireland for 65 years. So they're not a new company. Just unless they cross your path, you wouldn't be aware of them. Why would you? But he said, we like they're not going to be able to take over the fuel tanks and, and petrol and diesel stations, but they can store hydrogen over ground. So, it's just a. I think Shell are also Shell vaults and they're all messing with it now. Yeah, they're all looking at it because it, there there has to be a break point to this. There has to be a point where we go right. We're going to invest in hydrogen as well as electric because we can't make the two of them work. We can't make electric work on its own. And as much as you want to put blinkers on, some of the guys want to put blinkers on Robert Llewellyn or one of these kind of you know these people who make an awful lot of money out of talking and preaching about electric. Um, the thing is, we can't, when you're working in the industry as we do, you hear it from the people in the industry going, yeah, we can supply this many cars. And after that, unfortunately, we can't get any more batteries or we can't get any more rare earth materials or motors or whatever it is. So we do actually need a sort of a tandem approach. And if we're going to decarbonize the fleet, which is what everybody talks about, Eamon Ryan included, all everybody, the Green Party, decarbonizing fleet means to remove the internal combustion engine from the equation. And this is a way to do that in, in a fast way alongside electrification of the fleet. You've got hydrogen there too, which combusts nothing except for water, which drips out the bottom of it. By the way, we couldn't find the exhaust. We couldn't find it. So, yeah, couldn't so these look like, the, the current Gen X5, that's what these look like, but the back's different because it has an electric car finished over the, the rear diffuser but we were I was on my hands and knees and I <laughs> said yeah, to one of the <laughs> so we met a lovely guy from BMW Martin from the UK and there was a colleague of his at the fuel station and I said to Martin where, where, where does the water come out he goes water I was like yeah like there's, there's exhaust somewhere and uh, he turned to a, one of the guys in a BMW t-shirt and he says where are the exhaust pipes and he just goes I don't know they're in there somewhere <laughs> then suddenly everybody was on their hands and knees looking under his cars <laughs> where's the water <laughs> dripping out from and we're all thinking, um, that's the air conditioning pipe that's tripping. You know, the little puddle of air yeah. conditioning stuff that comes off. I thought it was that, and we're looking at all kinds of things. 
So very interesting way to experience it. Um, as I said, the uh, the video will be on both our channels. You can see us driving the car and stuff like that. We went, we even went down as far as Windsor Castle, which is very, very picturesque. It was lovely. It was actually, yeah. It's very nice. It was a lovely part of the country, very busy traffic, but nice part just down around Heathrow there. Um, we actually were, the hydrogen fuel station, we were watching A370s or whatever you call it, huge uh, airplanes landing, <laughs> like beside us, we're looking up, they were just dripping in overheads. Amazing area. Uh, yeah, lovely part of the country. Well worth um, a visit if you're if you're in that way. Uh, other thing about BMW this week, I don't know if you got a chance to have a look at it. Did you the new BMW i5? No, I haven't seen it because we were away at that, and I know you dropped in on the next day. I didn't know it was there, but you, you dropped in the next day. Yeah. So it's basically the, it's a new five series, eight generation five series. Um, they're not bringing a five twenty diesel to Ireland. <gasps> Too expensive is the thing, isn't it? It's now with yeah. the way tax works, the diesel ones are too expensive. So 520i, they're only bringing in an M Sport. SE is not a thing anymore in Ireland anyway. Um, so the M Sport, you know, does always come very well spec. It's 70,000 euro for the petrol 5 Series. Then you'll have a 530e. Yes, it used to be, what was it? Get an M Sport about 55 grand a couple 55. of years ago? 55. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Then you've got uh, the actual <laughs> i5, so you've got the, the E40 drive uh, powertrain. That's €90,000. Wow. There's an M60, which is, I, th- I think from memory, almost €120,000. It is 600 brake horsepower. I mean, that's M5 levels of performance from a BEV. Yeah, it's not. The 60 time would be, would be faster than the M5, I'd say. Yeah, because the battery part, there's, there's no, the torque is all there. There's no gear changes or anything to make. So it's probably going to be faster than not 60 time. They've got sort of four different packs that you can, you know, comfort pack or tech pack. They've got one ultimate pack, which is 15,000 euro that you can bolt on to the price of the car. And <laughs> <laughs> the price of I cars just, is just insane. I just, yeah, it is like I'm. Mean, I'm driving a Cooper Born this week, and it's an e-boost one, and it's sixty thousand euro. So a five series, it's gorgeous looking car, but I, I just can't see the value. 60, a sixty grand, I can't see it. You can buy a normal Cooper Born for low forties, um, but yeah, I got you can a buy lot two of, of the comments. Chinese brands for. Wait, <laughs> <laughs> two of the Chinese of- cars. It's just crazy. I got a lot of comments on my YouTube video about the the i5 and they're all mainly about the price. 90% of comments are about the price. You know, where Yeah, I've I've seen that a lot today as well, yeah. But it's like secondhand cars even have such a high value at the moment. It seems like, I know it seems like there's a big overall arching thing that's trying to get you out of cars, but it's just the value of cars at the moment seems to be going upwards on all scales. Petrol, diesel, electric any fuel just seems to have risen in price to extraordinary levels and you can't you can't hide it in the optional extras anymore you know it's very expensive but there's an awful lot of kit in it all cars have a lot of kit in them <laughs> they've all got it like yeah uh, it, but it's just crazy money now it's a beautiful car I mean as, as BMW grills go like look at the XM it's a uh, it's quite a pretty car it looks very well mm. you look at it straight away side on and you go that's a 5 series the interior is gorgeous it's like the i7 but just a little bit smaller um you know it's really really nice it's well put together it feels like a bmw has always felt like but just that price like 90 grand for an electric 5 now series. is your time to start collecting a 5 series if you want to buy a 5 series for for collecting and holding on to for a few years. Now is it because that's the last you'll see of the petrol and diesel ones ever coming in. Um, I, so. I, I don't now think they're not going to The EQE from Mercedes, similar price, the upcoming yeah. electric A6, that kind of money, it's not 
it's not just BMW, it's just the price of cars. Just It's PCP to start in the price and then you have other, there's, there's other factors involved in that price that's happening there too because in England, a lot of people will lease a car. So they never really, they, they lease it for three years, then they hand it back. They don't really ever have to worry about the total price of the car. It just goes back into the lease system. Um, and many, many people who, who, are, who are driving the BEV cars, particularly in the UK, are leasing them. So they never see it. We don't have that sort of lease system over here. We have PCP that buys the car out, or it's kind of like leasing, but it's not the same thing. So their their cost of leasing can be quite cheap, and they can run a very brand new car for a couple of years, hand it back, and just get something else. It's a much easier way to do it. And I wonder the way prices keep creeping here in Ireland. Will someone come in with this kind of business model? We need a bank to come in and sort of, you know, our finance house, whatever. To yeah. I don't know if that is the, I mean, being up to your neck every month and monthly repayments isn't necessarily the way either. And I've and I've done that. I've been that soldier. Um, <laughs> we all, yeah, no. <laughs> and uh, just a, a big story this week that kind of makes you wonder, is the price of electric cars is it supply? What is the issue causing a little bit less interest? Volkswagen's, one of their biggest plants, Emden in Germany, where they make a lot of cars, has said that they are giving their staff an extended summer break because the demand is not there for the i4 even uh, and the ID, ID3, ID4, sorry, not i4, that's a BMW. Um, and they're saying that production will ramp up later on in the year when they start making the i7. But again, we don't even know how much the i7 is going to cost here. Mm. Um, and they pretty much said that there isn't the demand for the electric vehicles from our brand that we forecast. So I know, but you know, they, they don't, they're all sort of the same though. If you've driven the ID3, you've driven the ID4, five, seven, you know, the interiors are all kind of the same. Even the Buzz, the Buzz was a remarkable Buzz is really expensive though. So it's a, that's more of a unique car. So it's hard to manufacture demand when your product isn't at the same speed or game as your competitors. Um, and I'm talking particularly with, with Tesla there, with their software. Now, the cars aren't brilliant, but their Tesla software are is extraordinary. It just works. And their range is impressive. And the way they go not to 60 and the fun and games and stuff. And Volkswagen never really, they did this turning the ship around at the beginning when Dieselgate ended, it suddenly became an electric car company and didn't really have a lot of experience of it. So I think they're kind of floundering when it comes to trying to find a market that suits the German cars. So I don't know if it's demand for EVs that's hurting them or what, because the, the software, I mean, even the Cooper Born I'm in this week and the software that like an ID3 is around, it's out on the roads now heading for two years. And the fact that I used the cruise control last night and I pressed plus and the car slowed down. <laughs> the, the the volume sometimes works. I'm getting these traffic hazard awareness not available right now. Yeah, like, I've seen that. Yeah. How can such a massive car company not get some IT nerds to just go into that room and don't come out until it's fixed? And then we're going to send everyone over the air updates. And we're going to not, because it's, it's, if, if you had spent 60 grand on a Cooper Born and it was beeping at you every 10 minutes to say that something wasn't working, you'd be so <laughs> angry. And imagine then not, not testing the car at nighttime so they couldn't see that there's no lights on the temperature control, the physical control stuff. So and I know it, they're rectifying no that, but. They can't retrospectively do it though. So the, the cars that are out yeah. now 
it has no light. There was, there was no light put in there in the first place because it didn't test it at night time. It, it's, it shows how fast they're pumping these cars out. Not Volkswagen particularly. All the brands were doing it at the beginning. But now we're into kind of second gen, third gen of a lot of car company software. So I have the Mustang Mach-E uh, this week, which is a very big car, right? <laughs> you think... It shouldn't be called a Mustang. I, I get that. But that's very Tesla-like. Now, they've done software updates, and that car now has fairly decent range, and it's fairly easy to use. Uh, the steering is still not great, but it, it's become better over time. And every time I go to, to test a Volkswagen, they say there's another software version, another software version out. And you get in, you still struggle with things. It still doesn't seem to be able to do what you want a car to do, simple things. Even wireless Apple CarPlay sometimes just doesn't bother connecting. You put your phone into the wireless charger in this car and after 20 seconds, and I've taken pictures of it, I'll put it all in my YouTube video, after 20 seconds it says, unable to charge the wireless device, please remove I everything else. I get that in Volkswagen as well. Yeah, There's I get nothing else in the tray. <laughs> I took the auto box off my phone to just put the phone against it because I thought it might be that. No, same problem. So it's like, I don't know if that's damaged their business or what. what is the problem. I don't know if the production slowing down for summer is unique to them or what but it's you also got to remember in germany being german they have a thing called the autobahn which is unlimited speed in certain little sections we've driven it before but um when you're this german business person going to and from work and you hit a stretch of autobahn you're probably not going to hold back you're just going to go on and then the electric thing doesn't really sympathize with you when you do that you lose your range very very quickly so sales of electric cars in germany have not been competitive with other markets uh, particularly like the number one sales in the world i think is norway i think for for battery powered vehicles is nearly 80 90 percent of the market it's a huge amount uh, but again volkswagen is not the top seller there so it's it's a big struggle and it's it's a it's a lot of money it's a big risk for people it's also a massive change for someone who's used to driving petrol and diesel cars there's this there's this three or four weeks of changing over whether I want to or don't want to. And then there's just a 60 grand price tag that comes with doing that. We're actually, we'll actually have a, a product expert from Kia on the podcast very soon who's from the Netherlands and he talks about, you know, how you can sell back to the grid and stuff like that. That's just, fascinating stuff, actually. But it's, it's very unique to specific regions. And uh, like, you go away with Toyota, the new CHR, and they're putting all the evidence and all the slides and all the research they've done with their customer base. And this is a massive, massive company. You know, whether you like Toyota or you think they're bland, it doesn't matter. They're, they're a beast of automotive manufacturing. Mm, and they're, they, are, they right? have it on the screen in front of you. And like, we've done our research and nearly 70% of our customers just want a hybrid. They don't want an electric car yet. I'm increasingly as well getting more and more DMs and questions about should I buy this, this, and this? And the three cars that are mentioned, one of them is going to be just a hybrid, no plug-in bit. One of them is going to be a plug-in hybrid, the other one's a battery car. And this is the three choices they come up with, and they're three like completely different cars from one another. And you're going, well, what do you what do you want? And they're confused. They don't know. They just go, well, I just want to drive to work with the kids on the weekend you know, go to school and do the stuff. And I'm very reluctant to go, well, you should go battery. I'd love to say you go battery, but if they have never done it before and they don't have a charge point at home and there's all these other things to do, they're going to come back to me going, I hated that experience or I loved it. It's polarizing. So if you're Toyota saying the same thing at the other end, then it's, it's a disservice to just say to people, you should just go battery and forget about it because it really does drive them up the wall. It'll be interesting to see in, the, in a year's time from now what the 
next steps for someone like Volkswagen will be? Will they? Will the production, you know, level out? Will there be? A, they're talking about a slight, a modest increase in in EV production this year versus last year. So, I just I'd love to know what's exactly causing that. Is it supply? Was it the semiconductors? Was it lack of interest from people? Is it just the price is too much? People can't afford it. Normal people, normal job, couple of kids trying to pay a mortgage. They're just like, I can't, I can't afford sixty thousand euro for a Skoda Enyaq. I just yeah. don't know. And then you have like the top selling car last month. Was that a Tesla Model Y or something for the first time ever? It was an electric world. car. Yeah, so in the world. When I was at uh, Chris Hadfield's show, which was really interesting, he didn't just talk about space. And one thing that he said about, he said, the Earth will be fine. The Earth has survived all this time. He said, it's six and a half thousand kilometers to the core of the Earth. We've managed as humans to drill down 12 kilometers. <laughs> so he said when he scratched so, the surface like. <laughs> so much of the surface we really don't know about but he said what we do need to change is if we want to enjoy the kind of life we're accustomed to now as humans on the planet in 2023 if we want our kids kids and beyond to be able to have a similar or better quality of life than than we have that's why we need to to change is that the, the earth isn't going to just blow up but we are going to have to exist in different ways and by 2030 they're, they're going to have a um uh, basically a, 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 a certain amount of people living on the moon mm. and somebody in the audience and he was taking just q a's from the audience and boy gosh theater is huge so people are trying to project their voice down to him and uh somebody said he quite a young guy he said if we're wrecking this place what business do we have going to live on the moon now and do the same there and yeah and he said, look, well, we should try just because we're, we'll never get things perfect as humans. We just, we can't. But to, to not explore and not to find out are there different ways and, you know, how do we ensure that we continue to exist as humans, then we kind of have to look at different places. But, and he also said, he said, how the hell do we know what else is out there? We've no way of knowing for sure whether there's other people and other planets that, you know, again, when he talks about how little we've explored of the galaxy and the universe, mm. he said, how, how could you know for sure? But uh, yes, he put up a picture of a Model Y. He didn't really, he's Canadian, obviously, Elon Musk is Canadian. He he said, he thought Elon was a bit of a show off, but he did say, you know, that that is the biggest selling car last month in the world. Didn't mention Tesla, but anyone would know it was Tesla. And he said, what it does give me faith in is 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 that people are sort of saying by that, that at least they're willing to be open to change in how we get around. Now, he, he, I think everyone is, though. Everybody's open. To, everybody wants to do the right thing, really. That's what we all want, is to do the right thing. But it just seems to be major confusion over what is the right thing to do or whether it's a, exactly. an affordable sure. way to go. We all know we need to, we should all eat healthy, right? But yep. if you if you have a family of six people and you can buy pizza cheaper than you can buy healthy food, especially if you want meat in your food. I mean, yeah, we don't all want to eat off eat chickpeas and tomato sauce and a couple of veg, but, mm. you know, but why is the, the best thing for people? So they say, you know, the best thing is eating well. The best thing is exercising. Gyms aren't cheap. The best thing is not having a car that pumps out fumes. Yeah, but the, the normal people can't afford them. Why is doing the right thing nearly always more expensive 
Yeah, I know it is. It is. Yeah, because even we had uh, we had um, a Thai red curry last night here, which I made from scratch. So we always try and make our own food, and it's very very good for you. And I I just remarked we went into Aldi and bought three um, free range chicken breasts, which came to seven euro fifty nine for just three breasts. Now there's four in the family, so we're we're making a curry. So it's fine. You're chopping it up, but if you wanted to have a chicken breast each. You would have to buy two packets of that. So it's 14 quid. And that's, again, trying to do the right thing, buying free range, you know, doing doing the correct thing. Uh, it just doesn't pay you back. You know, it's very expensive to, to, to eat. And drive. <laughs> and very expensive to drive, that's for sure, yeah. Um, before we go, do you want to give us a little insight on how you're feeling? How are yes. you? Um, I've had bazillions of questions uh, since the last update, which has been very good. You're, you're, everybody's so nice. I've met random people at Lewis Stops in James's hospital as well. One of the nurses, just lovely people, just wishing me all the best. And and I think I kind of opened a can of worms for some people as well in in talking about cancer, um, and not just talking about it in a way that's all terrible, tragic. Talking about it in a way that I'm working with a team in James's, and we're all we're in this together, and everybody's on my side and all that. It's brilliant. Um, so my James's team have done all my tests. So, so far I've had an MRI head and neck. So that has been the most weird, surreal thing you've ever been through. It is like putting your head inside a spacecraft. It's really loud. You wear ear defenders while you're there. Um, and it goes on for a long time. <laughs> and the MRI shows nothing uh, uh, different. So it's, I still have cancer. It's not gone away or anything, but it hasn't spread anywhere. Uh, then Brilliant. I went for a CT scan. And a CT scan is a much more gentle thing. It just takes a couple of minutes. Again, it's a kind of a tube, but you're not quite in the tube tube. And you go in, that was a head and neck thing. That showed nothing unusual either. And then I did what's called a PET scan. So a PET scan is where they inject you with a radioactive stuff. So you're radioactive about six hours afterwards. You're not supposed to stand around people's place. They keep a meter apart from people. And when you go to the toilet, it's a big, big thing. You urinate out. The, the radioactive stuff you're supposed to sit down as a man which is kind of weird because then you don't get any splash you're not splashing radioactivity around the place what colour is it? <laughs> it's kind of bluish it kind of comes out sort of blue um, which is weird really kind of yeah. clear light blue colour it's a dye that goes into you so what it, it's a sugar uh, nuclear radiation and what it does is the CT scanner can see this stuff in your bloodstream and if you have cancer somewhere else, it will light up. It will it will come alive. It'll be very bright on the screen and they'll be able to see it. And I'm lucky to say that there is no cancer anywhere else in the body. So I have no spread, although a lymph node in my neck has become suspicious. Um, so a lymph node picks up all of your uh, kind of garbage in your body and moves it around and pushes it to your kidney and liver and then you urinate it out. That's normal behavior. So any infection will make a lymph node light up. But the one in my neck is lit up, so that's going to be coming out. That was coming out all along. And so the, the team is happy enough uh, so far. Uh, so I was going to the tw- on the 12th for a full, as to what they're going to actually do with surgery. So the 12th of the month is what to, it's just a meeting with them. They're just going to go through all the details of what the results are and how much they're going to, to remove and what's going to happen. And uh, and what will be the aftermath of that. And then hopefully the surgery will happen within a couple of weeks after that again. So by the end of July, I'm hoping I'll have all the surgery finished and be back out and know where I am then. Because I can make no plans. So anybody who's mm. in the problem is right now, I can't plan international trips. I can't plan work. I can't plan videos really. I can only kind of see ahead a week at a time. 
Um, because if one of those tests came back wrong and there was something else, I would have been whipped in. So everything has to just pause then. It would have been brought in because if there was a spread, they would have had to bring it into chemotherapy and all these other things would have to happen. Uh, and so I, it's very difficult to make plans or make income, to make money, you know, to, to do videos. It's very hard to concentrate on stuff and do things. Yeah. And I think the, the biggest problem I've had has been just waiting for the next bit of the diagnosis to happen or the next section of things the waiting around brings very very dark head at times as much positivity as you want to spread you go into very dark places you think you can feel things growing and moving and shifting and you know it's it's psychological but your brain it's very difficult to kind of keep your brain quiet and not go to absolute despair in a corner somewhere going just will you just hurry up and take it out will you you know yeah yeah so that's and been the biggest problem does going for a run and things does that help take your mind like what <laughs> takes your mind off it um two things running exercise in general uh, but running is a brilliant one running is med- run as far as you can as slow as you can if, you, if you're concerned about running you've never done it before you think oh that's beyond me it doesn't matter i've met fat people and they've overtaken me out running. And you're looking at him going, you know, this guy is 20-something stone. He just ran by me like I'm standing still and I'm running for the last five years. How did that happen? He'll be stopped up the road as well and you'll overtake him. And in between the two of you, it, it just works out. Just run as far as you can, as slow as you can. And don't be timing it. Don't worry about Apple Watches around. It's just go out and enjoy yourself. That's the meditation for me. I go out and run 7 to 10K now. I was only able to do about four when I started treatment and I started stuff. Uh, without stopping. Now I'm up kind of seven to 10. Now I can do without stopping. And the other thing that takes my mind off everything is playing video games, uh, like Warzone, <laughs> stuff like that. I'll just sit down and just a half an hour and I, I just absorb myself in the video. I played video games since I was a kid, uh, but I play Warzone. So if you've died on Warzone recently, it was an Irish guy laughing at you. It's probably me. <laughs> <laughs> and sad news this week that GameStop, the online store now even is gone. And I, I don't think there was much stock left, but they were selling off games for like 90% discount just to get the stuff out. Yeah, it's um, all gone. Everything's gone online. Like I've, I've, I remember Steam. Uh, Steam was a, is a way on PC to download games directly. You buy them from from a company called Steam. Valve is the company behind it. And I can remember Steam starting in 2003 or four or something way back. Uh, but now there's four or five of those alternatives for PC. I play PC games. Um, but if you look at PlayStation or, or Xbox, they're in almost entirely online. You buy them from the PlayStation store directly and just downloads your to your machine overnight yeah. you know and it's much easier than the old uh, what has gone like think of um gamestop has gone now recently argos went as well again it's just it's kind of online ordering things are going to disappear i think mm. but what are, yeah great escapism whatever it is and um no look that's great to hear that's you know it, it looks but no spread so that's that's the best part of that is it's not I don't have like lung cancer or or distance. So I'm not, the staging is kind of weird. So I, I would be stage three technically right now, stage two to three. So uh, if you have local cancer and it's in a lymph node nearby, it's called stage three, uh, but it's not in the lymph node. So technically I'm stage two, uh, but stage four is you have the original site, your lymph node is lit up and you have some sort of remote cancer. So maybe you have liver cancer or something as well, a bladder or something distant that's called stage four. Um, yeah. So they're they're your stages, and I'm somewhere between two and three. And at least lymph nodes that can be removed as well. So it will be. Yeah, that one will go, yeah. and they'll just remove them on the because there's a, a whole chain of them that goes down, and it causes swelling for a little bit after, and then then you get on with your life, and you never even know it's gone after a while. 
So in a positive outlook, you could potentially be looking at surgery and that's all you need. With with any luck um, and what they're planning is, so I'm not, they're not planning chemicals for me right now. So the, the, the best part of this would be to go immediately to surgery, remove whatever's there, little bit of radiotherapy afterwards to make sure they got absolutely everything and then you're kind of back to normal. Uh, well, not normal. It won't be normal. I'm going to be missing a big lump in my mouth and <laughs> maybe some parts of my cheek and head and things. I don't know what has to come out. So it won't be normal. It won't be me coming back, but it'll be me inside my head. Um, and that's the kind of scary because I don't quite know what exactly is going to be removed and what will be the aftermath of that. But sure, I'll work with the team again. James, is, I've I've speech and therapy language guys, with physiotherapy guys. They're all going to work with me too. What if you had like a different accent after? What the if surgery? Tired, like a whole, I could look like Pablo Escobar or something. Yes. <laughs> Come on, can, you, can you make me more Ryan Gosling? But imagine, like, imagine. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, you had a Dublin accent, or yeah, yeah, or two face. Turn on, turn left, and <laughs> one half of your face is is Irish normal me, and the other half is a totally different person. On the other side. <laughs> Hello from my side will mean totally different things. Who <laughs> <laughs> will get a mention of that in some? Oh there, yeah. No, well, look. I mean, continued fingers crossed. I'm, I'm. It's it's nice to know that you got those results during the week, and it's. You know, it's, oh, it's, it's been positive. brilliant, yeah. 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 And if you've been diagnosed with cancer or you're worried about cancer, go to your GP, go and talk to your doctor, go and talk to your dentist. Just do it. Stop worrying about it. Stop thinking about it. Stop fretting in your mind as to whether you do or you don't. Go get diagnosed because the earlier things happen and the quicker things happen for you, uh, the quicker you're in the system and you can get moving. And then once the system takes over, it's absolutely phenomenal. You just get these text messages going, go here, go there, phone this, and you turn up and you do it. And that, that's... It's, it's much easier when you're actually in the system and, and it's done. And if you've been diagnosed with cancer recently, get fit. Just get fit, get out, start walking, running, do something to take your mind off it because once you go into those dark little zones in your head, it's very, very hard to get out of them. Yeah, absolutely. I can only imagine. Right. Well, uh, good good outcut, uh, outlook on that. And um, thanks for sharing it uh, with everybody because um, I'm sure you kind of get sick talking about it at some times <laughs> as well. Like depends how many times in the day someone's gone. Oh, I wish you all the best. No, I hope I'm some random you? person. <laughs> how are you getting on? What's it like? Is there any symptoms? Uh, people what colours are we? Yeah, that stuff. Yeah. Your wee was. Hot to, I get all that stuff. It's just, it's brilliant, but it's it can be tiring if I'm on the train or something where I'm going up to Dublin and then I have to get the Lewis up to James's and stuff, and, you, and you're meeting all these people. <laughs> to, oh, I wish you all the best. Great. Was there any symptoms? Is the next thing up because someone <laughs> oh, who's a smoker, gosh. you know, they go. What's the symptoms you got? There's no symptoms. Oh, no. You can see their face going, no, there's no Stop symptoms. Stop smoking anyway. <laughs> Stop smoking. Don't be smoking things. It's bad for you. Don't be smoking. Okay, look, thanks for listening to this uh, episode. We, uh, we, we squeezed a lot in. And um, yeah. please do share it wherever. We're sorry, we'll be more regular next time. We say that every time. <laughs> every time. <laughs> Subscribe and share and like and love us. Do. And to our channels. And please watch and will you just comment on the videos and like the videos, do whatever you can to help YouTube's algorithm get a kick up the hole. Yeah, it's a pain at the moment. It's an awful, awful place at the moment to get any sort of traction. It's very difficult. So thanks for the support as always. And uh, we'll talk to you on the next one. Thank you very much. Bye-bye, everybody. <laughs>